You're listening to Portfolio Builders, a WealthCap Holdings podcast about long-term wealth building and financial independence. Hey, everybody. Devin here, your host for the Portfolio Builders podcast. Happy Friday afternoon. Um, if you're listening to the replay, I have no idea what, <laughs> what day of the week it might be. Um, and for those of you that are, that are tuning in on Facebook Live, um, say hello in the comments. And if you have any questions while we're chatting today, just post those in the comments and we'll get to them at the end. I am super excited to have my new homie, Matt Andrews, on with us today. Say hey to everybody, Matt. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me on, Devin. I am super excited. We basically met yesterday, had a quick little chat, and um, you know, we just, I don't know, we were bouncing back and forth off each other for a little bit yesterday, and I'm so excited to get to hear your story more in depth um, about your journey in the real estate game that you've been in since the year 2000. Yes. Um, and <laughs> And it's the turn of the century, yes. Exactly. Uh, and then also your insights, like we, we dabbled a little bit yesterday, where you think the market is headed. So uh, for those that are either watching with us live or catching the replay on the podcast, let us know a little bit about who you are, your background, and you know your, your history in the real estate game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's my pleasure to be with you, and I've enjoyed our, our conversations that we've had uh, prior to this. And uh, thank you for inviting me to the group. Uh, clearly, an awesome group. A lot of great uh, real estate investors, just a lot of great financial minds in the group. So uh, I'm honored to be a part of it, and honored to be on the show today for sure. So uh, my name is Matt Andrews. I've been, uh, like you said, investing since uh, the turn of the century, since the year 2000. <sighs> And um, and uh, have done a lot of uh, a lot of things in real estate since then. Um, started out my business doing uh, wholesaling and rehabs. We didn't call it wholesaling back then. That term came in in vogue a little bit later. But wholesaling and rehabs and turnkey properties and uh, and then uh, buying uh, rentals and, and building a portfolio, which I know is is your main thing, which is uh, one of my favorite things is is passive income through real estate. So through the years, uh, my business has morphed. Um, you know, I spent from 2000 to about 2008, really just uh, rehabbing properties, keeping one here and there uh, for uh, passive rental income. And so I started, you know, probably became a landlord in like 2002, I think my first rental property that I, that I bought and, and kept. Um, so I've learned a lot, uh, you know, learned a lot by being a property manager for a while, learned that that's a tough game. And I, I really appreciate my, my property managers that work for me today because I know how hard their job is. Uh, in 2008, the, the market dropped down. Those of you that were around during that time remember uh, that was a crazy time, a really bad time for a lot of people in the real estate game, but it ended up being uh, one of the most amazing times for me. I was in Tampa, Florida, uh, the nexus of the foreclosure crisis. We, we invented mortgage fraud in Tampa <laughs> during, that, during that time, and uh, not me personally, and I wasn't involved in any of that, but if you've ever seen that show, American Greed on CNBC, I mean, they made whole episodes about Tampa and different people that were operating as straw buyers and, and crazy stuff that happened then. Um, so that created that foreclosure crisis uh, or contributed to that foreclosure crisis. I started buying a lot of properties, started uh, turnkeying a lot of properties, started studying marketing 
around that time and uh, how to uh, show up in, in cool places online so that buyers overseas would start to contact me to buy distressed assets. And so I uh, really turned my business to supplying to uh, overseas buyers, to funds, um, and started doing a lot of turnkey properties at the time. So I had two or three profit centers on, on each property at the time. I uh, started doing, you know, set up a, a system where you could only buy at least five at a time from me. Then it was 10 at a time. Then it was 20 at wow. a time. And uh, routinely had buyers buying 40 or 50 properties at a time, or at least putting in orders and putting in the money for 40 or 50 properties at a time. I think I had one buyer that bought 75 properties from me, sold a big software company and put all that money into real estate with us. Wow. Um, so I was just turning and burning during that time, you know, yeah. and learned a lot about real estate. It was just me and my wife and uh, running crews and uh, but really just a, a solo shop and uh, learned a ton and started really keeping a lot of properties. So I'd, I'd turn five or six or seven of them, keep one, turn five or six or seven, keep one free and clear. And I kind of just stayed on that model. Uh, didn't get crazy, didn't buy the Lamborghini, didn't get all insane with the money I was making, kept putting it back into real estate. And so from 2008 to 2012, um, I think we did somewhere around, you know, 800 flips, somewhere around there. And uh, to date, I've done over, you know, a thousand uh, wholesale or flips. Um, and then uh, that's helped us build our, our portfolio. So fast forward to today, um, building that portfolio, creating that passive income, uh, literally making money while I sleep, which is what I, I feel like, you know, owning rental properties really is. That's yeah. enabled me to do uh, a lot of other things. And that's opened up my bandwidth to be able to focus on a lot of other uh, parts of the real estate business. I've started an education company. I started a publishing company. Um, and, and really, uh, the closest thing to my heart, my wife and I have been able to, uh, to use that time and that influence and, and that capital to start some charities, both here in America and overseas. And so we spend a lot of our time in the charity world now. And, and it all comes from real estate. And like you and I were talking about, it's, you know, real estate is a vehicle. Right. And yeah, I, I look at real estate. Not just, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. I do too. Right. Because that's, you know, it's what I always wanted. But as I continued to grow, I started to see, wow, you know, this is a uh, real estate is not the thing. And I say this a lot. Real estate is not the thing. Real estate is the thing that gets you to the thing. Real mm -hmm. estate is the thing that creates the freedom and frees up the mental bandwidth so you can do other things. So when you started talking about what you do and what your audience does and, and creating uh, turnkey and buying turnkey properties and creating passive income. Um, you know, I, it, it's right down my alley because passive income is what allows you to go do the thing that you really want to do. If it's real estate, great. If it's not real estate, you go do those other things, but you fuel it with the time that you've got and the money and the passive income that real estate brings. So I'll always be a, a real estate fan. I'll always be involved in real estate, but I like to do 10 other things too. And uh, some of those are fun things that make a lot of money. And some of those are just fun things that are just fun things, you know? And so uh, today that's, that's really what we focus on is being able to uh, joint venture and be open to opportunities and to let real estate fuel that. And uh, that's kind of uh, always been my passion is to let that be a vehicle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I know that's what, what my plan is. Um, I want I want to build a portfolio, not just for the sake of building a portfolio, but it's everything that I can do with that passive income. I think the purpose of any business is to fund the perfect life. 
And uh, I know yesterday you and I were joking around a little bit about how you've um, you've gotten on some podcasts and 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 talked to wholesalers about the point of getting out of wholesaling so that you can uh, you know so that you can get to the point where you're passive, where you're no longer hustling so much. So I'd love to hear you just kind of dive deep on like what the what was the mindset set transition like for you? Or did you always know from the beginning that it was a means to, you know, to an end, to another path? Yeah. Well, I think I always knew that that real estate was a conduit to freedom, right? Mm -hmm. But I didn't understand exactly how that was. I thought, you know, uh, I thought wholesaling or doing some rehabs and making that money, I thought, you know, I would just make so much money that then I would have freedom. And, and what I kind of realized, especially in the wholesaling game, is that it's a grind. Right. And in a lot of ways, and I think, you know, like you said, I've been on a lot of podcasts talking to wholesalers and saying, you know, uh, wholesaling is great, but you want to grow out of that because it's almost like a hamster in the wheel. You, you might own your own business. You might be an entrepreneur, but being in that cycle where you're doing a deal or two and then you kind of like, you know, have some have a down a downturn and then you kind of come back up and do a deal or two and then you have a downturn. And you kind of do this up and down thing and there's no consistency in your business, um, that's, that's stressful and that's hectic. And mm -hmm. so what I found for me was uh, for a portion of my, my real estate life, really from 2000 to probably like 2010, um, that time period was, it was a lot of times feast or famine. I'd make a bunch of money and then, and then I would kind of like, you know, catch my breath for a second. Then I'd make a bunch of money, then I'd catch my breath for a second. And I kind of, instead of creating a business and a sustainable passive income, uh, source. I kind of created a job for myself, if that makes sense. Totally. And, you know, uh, creating a job was what I wanted, you know, having a job was what I wanted to get away from. You know, I was in corporate America for a couple of years uh, in college before I, or after college, before I got into real estate. And I knew I didn't want to sit at a desk from, you know, from nine to five every day and do the same thing over and over again and wear a tie. I'm, I, I have literally have an allergy to ties. You know, I put a tie on, and <laughs> it, starts to, it starts to choke me and stuff. So this is, this is my outfit, you know, and so this is one of our companies here and, and this is my, this is my uniform, you know, but I found that in, in wholesaling and even in rehabbing, though the spreads are bigger than in wholesaling, many times I, I had just worked myself into a position where I created a job for myself and uh, felt in some ways that I couldn't get out of it. You know, um, I'd make some money, but then I had to just go find another deal and I had to go find another deal and find another deal. So I kind of went from, you know, wholesaling and I thought, okay, you know, I can do a bunch of deals, but it's just kind of like working, working, working. And I never quite get ahead. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I can scale up more and I can do more wholesale deals, but that means I've just got acquisitions managers underneath me. Now I'm managing a bunch of people. I never really wanted to, to manage a big team because people are just as problematic as, as the business itself. Sometimes more, in fact, most of the time, more problematic dealing with and managing people than managing a project even. So I thought, okay, rehabs then, right? Rehabs, I'll make more money. I won't do as many deals, but I'll make more money per deal. So that's my ticket to freedom. Then I realized I was just managing now who? the construction crews, right? And the right. subcontractors and, and all the things that go with that. And so I realized, man, this is the kind of the same thing as wholesaling. It's a little better money and, and uh, less projects and maybe a few less nuts and bolts as far as how many closings I had to do, but it's really kind of the same thing. Um, so I was doing both wholesaling and rehab. And I thought, man, you know, passive income, that's where I've got to get to. I've got to figure out how to 
start keeping some of these properties and uh, in whatever way. For me, I, I wanted to keep them free and clear because I was generating good income. So my way out of the wholesaling and rehabbing was to start supplying turnkey properties to overseas buyers, to hedge funds, and start doing big transactions. We were doing multiple properties at once. And then as soon as I had a good um, you know, closing and, and you know, got money in for you know, 20 or 40 or 50 properties, I would make sure that before I did anything else that I cherry picked a few of the next properties and kept those free and clear. You know? So kept one yeah. here, kept one there. Started building that up in Tampa, um, and then Tampa started becoming uh, uh, the, the the property started rising. I kind of me and a few other people in Tampa created the problem really where we attracted so much attention to the that amazing market that hedge funds started coming in and pricing us out of the market. So instead wow. of me being able to buy this ninety thousand dollar property for fifty k or sixty k, these guys were coming in and paying eighty k for it, and I couldn't compete. You know. They were right. going to buy it and hold it for seven years. I needed to buy it and turn it and make money on it right now. And so it stopped working for me to the extent that it was. So then I went up to, to Michigan and uh, really Grand Rapids was a great market for us and Muskegon and um, a few other small towns uh, on the uh, west side of Michigan that I really focused in on Then kind of expanded to uh, Cleveland and Columbus, Ohio, then a little bit in Indianapolis, Indiana and some surrounding communities there. And I just kind of kept doing the same thing, feeding my pipeline of, of buyers that wanted a certain type of return. And I was selling double-digit cap rates. That was really what I, what I marketed at the time. But I made sure that every time I took down another batch of properties, every time I sold another batch of properties, that I took some of those profits and I put it into free and clear real estate. So today, I think we've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 uh, single-family homes that are free and clear. I don't have any loans on those, which is, you know, to me, that's, that's a really that's big, amazing. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's freedom. Huge. Yeah, that's freedom. And, and it, but it didn't happen. Like I bought 75 properties. It happened like two here, you know, three there, one mm -hmm. here, one there, but it was just consistent. The same thing over and over again. I sold another five or six or 10. Boom. I kept one. I sold another five or six. Boom. Kept one. and just kept doing that over and over again. My wife and I are, are pretty disciplined. We didn't go blow a bunch of money. Like I said, I didn't get crazy and buy the Lamborghini and do all that silly stuff. I, that doesn't that doesn't move me. That doesn't do anything for me. So we were uh, we were young and we didn't have kids yet, and we could grind and we could work. And so we did that, and then put those properties away. And uh, and now you know we got to the point where that's a great portfolio for us. Um, if we didn't have anything but those properties. Uh, providing us income, our life wouldn't change. But what it's allowed us to do, like I said, is really go into a lot of other avenues, some in real estate, some not, and some in you know things that aren't even businesses, just fun things that we like to do that are fulfilling to us. And uh, just having the discipline to do that and, uh, and kind of defer some of that gratification, I think was a big piece of it. So, um, you know, owning those properties, having that, uh, you know, that ability to, to know, Hey, I don't have mortgages and all this stuff. I'm not working daily to make sure I've got enough money to to buy that stuff or or to pay mm -hmm. the debt on that stuff has made a really big difference, and um, that's that's really been been key for us. So I went from a wholesaling mindset to a rehabbing mindset to a buy and hold mindset, and then I really kind of stayed in a buy and hold mindset no matter what I did, whether it was real estate or something else. I want what I do today and the effort that I exert today to pay me 
a year down the road, five years yeah. down the road, 20 years down the road. And I want it to be able to be something that I can leave to my family and help build the financial legacy and leave to my children. And here's the cool part. And this is the part, I, you know, only once a year do I even really look at this, but those properties that I bought, especially the ones I bought in, you know, 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, um, even like 13 and 14, those properties, most of them have tripled in value. Wow. And some of them have quadrupled. So wow. these, these properties that I bought for 50K or 60K, I mean, a lot of them are worth well over 100K, most of them, you know, so almost all of the, I don't think I have one that hasn't doubled in value since that time, which makes sense if you hold them that long, right? I mean, some of these I've held for, you know, eight, nine, 10 years, the, the early yeah. ones. Um, but, you know, especially in the depressed markets, when I bought something in Tampa for 50K or when I bought something in Michigan for 30K, even at the time, it wasn't worth 50K. It wasn't worth 30K. I mean, even then, it was worth, you know, not exponentially, but a fair percentage more than mm -hmm. it was worth than I bought it for even then. So looking back now, we have, you know, 50K properties, which that 50 to 60K mark in the early parts of our business was a sweet spot. I mean, those are 150K properties now. <clears throat> so the ability we have to, if we wanted to, to pull equity out of those um, if we needed to, or to sell one of those off, I mean, just one of those properties, you know, sell one of those off, boom, there's both of my kids' college and yeah. their board and their whole food for the entire four years they're there. I mean, that's everything all in one property right there. Um, and again, you know, I had a lot of friends who did a lot of those same deals, but they weren't holding things along the way, mm -hmm. you know, so they made that money and their dollars worth a dollar now. Well, my dollar that I put in there, you know, every dollar I put in is worth three or $4 now. And so that's, uh, that's kind of what's made the difference for us. And, and um, it's allowed me to focus on, on being a father and being a good husband and, you know, focusing on the things that I consider important, you know, because mm -hmm. the rest of that stuff is all periphery. It's all a vehicle. It's all a tool. But if I'm falling down as a father, um, if I'm not being what I should be for my six-year-old daughter or my two-year-old son, um, and I'm not being the husband I should be, then it doesn't matter if I'm a, if I'm a billionaire. It doesn't matter if I have as much money as Bill Gates. Yeah. If I, I am a poor man, if I don't have those other things or if I've dropped or let down my responsibility there. And, and so that's become my, my term, you know, and my understanding of what wealth is today. Wealth is, is being surrounded by people I love and being able to put those things in the forefront, being able to maintain the, the perspective and the priority that that's the important thing and that money comes second. But you can only do that if you've got things that are working, right? You know, if you don't have mm -hmm. money to eat, then that's the first priority and you're going to fall down on everything else because that's, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? I mean, if you don't yeah, have yeah. food to eat, you know, you're not worried about anything else. You know, you're not worried about your kids going to school or whatever if you're looking for food that day. So, you know, that just allows you to kind of focus on the higher level things. And ultimately, I think that's what brings us real fulfillment. And my definition of freedom has changed too. You know, I used to think it was, or to me it was, you know, owning my own business was my definition of freedom, right? That's okay. what I thought freedom was. And then, then it became, okay, I want to be able to live off of passive income, you know, so I'm not working and trading time for money. And that was my definition of freedom. And today, I'm proud to say my definition of freedom today is being able to work on worthwhile projects with the people I want to work with on yeah. the types of things I want to work on. Yeah. Anytime I want to work on them or not work on them anytime I, I want to work on them, 
regardless of making money or not from those, but in a way that those projects can help people and can make my corner of the world better. So today, my definition of freedom is, is working on those kinds of projects with the people I choose, uh, not for the purposes of making money, but for the purposes of being a responsible entrepreneur that literally makes my little tiny corner of the world a little bit better and allows me to help the people around me in a way that maybe they wouldn't be able to do on their own. And so that's, that's my definition of freedom today. And, and uh, I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I was going to say yes and amen, you know, preach. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I agree a thousand percent. Um, you know, I, have been an entrepreneur. I was a real estate agent. I had a property management company and I, I did well. I was successful, yeah. but I was like, I mean, I was just constantly hustling, mm. always on, always on, always on. And it you had a job. Awesome. You created a job. Yeah. I created a lot of jobs yeah. <laughs> and, and was trying to fulfill them all. And it was hard on me. It was hard on my relationships. Mm. And um, it wasn't, I was a slave. Yeah. You know, I was a slave to my work. So I, I agree with you a thousand percent. You know, it's if whatever you're doing is is bringing in money, but it's robbing you of everything else, then is it is it worth it? And I say no. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think a lot of it, too, you know, comes back to, you know, who's controlling your life. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, does, does somebody else have control of your life? Does a does a you know, and there's nothing wrong with having a job if that's if it's a job that you love and it's fulfilling. You know, and I don't mean to disparage that in any way. I think early in my career, I was like, I'm an entrepreneur and anyone who has a job is no good or whatever because you're, you're not an entrepreneur. I, I don't believe that anymore. I, I believe it's about, you know, personal fulfillment and, and contributing yeah. something good to the world. And you can do that in a job. You can do that in a position where you're an employee and you have an employer. That's not a, a bad equation if it fits your lifestyle, right? Totally. But, I, mm -hmm. but the concept of, and I think, you know, Tim Ferriss, who wrote Four Hour Work Week. I think it was the first person who ever said this phrase. Maybe he coined it lifestyle design. You know, it's, it's designing a lifestyle uh, and, and creating a business that fits your life instead of having a business or having a job that you have to then figure out how do I have a life around this, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, for me, it wouldn't fit my lifestyle if I was working in a factory uh, on the midnight to 6 a.m. shift, and then I was a zombie all day and really didn't have time to spend with my kids, or I was, you know, asleep all day while they were awake, and, you know, vice versa. That wouldn't work for me. That's not a lifestyle design that okay. works for me, right? That doesn't fit. So for me, it was about create a business um, that fits your lifestyle. And so many people, especially in real estate, especially on the wholesaling and rehabbing side, they get into it and they might even be making a lot of money. I know people that flip 500 properties a year. And their life is just very unfulfilled and they don't yeah. see their kids and they, they pull, they're pulling out their hair every day. I, I, I'm bald. I'm not pointing, not because I pulled out my hair, but, but they're pulling out their hair every day, right? Because yeah. they, they've got a business that makes money, but doesn't fit the life that they wanted. And so mm -hmm. for me, it's, it's about, you know, who is controlling your life? Who is calling the shots on your life? And, and, it came true to me and I think it was 1999 when I was working a corporate job, um, you know, pretty much straight out of college. And, and uh, I have some gifts, you know, as a salesman in the sales department, I'm, I'm, I can communicate with people, I can sell. And so I was doing really well in a Fortune 500 company. I was on the corporate ladder. Um, I was the fresh kid, you know, and like I didn't know, but like 
but my managers were like, oh, we got a good one here. This guy's going to be with us for, you know, 40 years and make us a bunch of money. And, and, uh, and you know, I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to be here, you know, at a, at a young age, early 20s. I've got a company car. I've got an expense account, you know, like things that I thought were only in movies like Wall Street and stuff like that, you know. And I think I'm big stuff, right? And uh, so I built this pipeline of business. I'm making decent money uh, for the for me at the time in my early 20s. Now it wasn't great money, but it was decent. And uh, but I but I thought this was it. I'm on the track to achieving everything I wanted to. I'm getting lots of pats on the back. I'm getting trophies and I'm getting little plaques and you know that aren't worth anything. But I'm getting these cool little plaques. I'm being flown up to corporate headquarters and wined and dined by guys that I think are the stuff, you know. And um, and so I built this pipeline of business over about two years. And then one day, my boss called me in and a uh, great guy, his name is Bill, um, still love him to this day. Every, about, about once a year, I'll even call him up and just kind of chat with him stuff because I, I love him. He was an early mentor, right? And he called mm-hmm. me in and he said, uh, Matt, you know, you've done a fantastic job over the last year and a half. Um, you know, you built this, uh, you know, amazing little, uh, you know, piece of business for yourself inside the company. Uh, you've gained the respect of your colleagues and, and your managers and, and the corporate entities. And, and you've got all these accolades and you're doing a fantastic job. You built this fantastic book of business. And I'm just like, thanks, you know? And then he says, here's the thing. We're shutting down your division and everything you've done over the last couple of years is basically going back to zero. We're going to put you over here and you're starting over again. Oh, wow. And I was like, I, I was with you. I was with you on everything until that last part that you said right there, Bill. I was yeah. like, run that last part by me again. I'm doing great. Everything's awesome. I built this book of business. I got a future in the company, except you're completely pulling out the rug from under me and everything I've done for the last two years, like means nothing now, like this book of business that I built, which I was going to keep expanding and it was going to feed me and, you know, feed my family eventually. I mean, now all of a sudden you're just, that. that's it, you know? And he's like, well, it's not, obviously it's not my decision. You know, it's a, large corporate national company. And we've decided that we're going to not be in this one piece of the business anymore. We're mm-hmm. going to focus more over here, right? So a big corporate decision. I mean, big company, think, think Microsoft level company, right? We're not, we're not doing this piece anymore. We're just focusing on this piece over here. And to them, it was just a business decision, which I completely understand. But to sure. me, it was my entire life for two years that I built. And so at that very instant, I made a decision that that was never going to happen to me again, ever, yeah. right? Yeah. And for the next six months of being in that job, I said, you know what, I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to keep working for you guys. I didn't say this to them, but I said in my head, I'm going to keep working for you guys. I'm going to do basically, I'm going to do the bare minimum for a little while because I'm going to study real estate over the next six months, and I'm just going to deep dive into that. So on every lunch break. You know, instead of coming in early like I was, I came in right on time. Instead of staying late like I had been, I left right on time. Instead of taking, you know, uh, just 45 minutes for lunch and rushing back, I took an hour and a half. And the whole time, I used all that free time and all my time driving in the car, listening to CDs at the time. It makes me feel old, right? CDs and even some cassette tapes probably ah. from, from, real, <laughs> estate guru, from real, real estate gurus or whatever. But I was training my mind. I did my first real estate deal. I made okay money, not great, but just enough to believe in myself that I could keep doing this and do some more deals like this. I quit my job and then I went into that full time. And uh, you know, even though it took me a long time to get to where I am now, that was the day I decided no one else is going to be in control of what I'm doing besides me. And uh, and then obviously I caught the vision of 
what real passive income is. And that's, that's mm -hmm. kind of what brought me to where we are today. So that's, that was my corporate journey, but I was ruined that day for corporate America. I was like, that's it. I was like, I yeah. can't do this. You know, it's not going to work for me because if I can do this and somebody can just turn something off, then anything can be turned off. If something's been, if a job was given to me, a job could be taken away. But if I yeah. built something, if I built something, only I could ruin that. Right. And totally. so that's, that's something that it, a mindset shift happened uh, that day in me. And, uh, and I've never gone back since then. I, I love that story. And I think, you know, a lot of people that um, either have the entrepreneurial mindset or maybe they don't have had yeah. one of those pivotal moments where they've thought, okay, if I don't take the reins on my financial future for myself and for my family, like then who's in control? Absolutely. Um, like I have some friends and family members who have, they've put a ton my dad, for example, he was a corporate airline pilot for like 40 years and has recently retired and has, you know, 401k and all that. But he's calling me like, hey, darling, I think I need to put my money in real estate um, just because it would give him more control and certainty uh, over his, you know, his long term financial future. Sure. Well, and think so, about the people, think about the people that are 30 years behind him and we're just building as a as a as a corporate uh, right. airline pilot, commercial airline pilot, like think about their last six months, right? <laughs> like with everything that's happened here. I mean, planes I aren't flying like they were before. So yeah, I mean, he, I know. Thank he was God lucky to be in it when he was. last year, right? <laughs> um, and, and thank God he's got you because now you you with with your portfolio building skills and your your fund and everything you know that you know, you can make his money worth way more. Than, than he could with your knowledge, right? So what a, what a great thing for uh, him to raise a smart daughter to be able to do that with. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Well, Chucks, Dad, I hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> but that uh, kind of leads me into what I wanted to chat about you also is, I know yesterday we were chatting about how much you love Turnkey um, mm. and how it's, you know, it's such a great opportunity for people who maybe they are building a business over here and they need to do something to build wealth with, the money that they're generating, or maybe they have a W-2, whatever. Yep. Um, and we were talking about, you know, the, the opportunities with turnkey right now, and then also what you think is going to be happening a couple years down the road. So I really want to hear your thoughts on, you know, why is turnkey a great idea right now? And yeah. what are your projections for the, for the next few years or so? Yeah, totally. Well, turnkey is a great idea because, you know, if you don't want to be or it's not your dream to be inside the real estate business and, and the one who is, you know, uh, in the acquisition of real estate or the one who's negotiating the deals, but you've got a business or, you know, uh, you've got a job where you've got you've created additional income just from an ideological standpoint, turnkey makes so much sense because it allows you to stay in your lane, do what you're good at, but then make yeah. your money work for you at a higher rate than, than probably the market will or your 401k will. You know, It allows you to take advantage of, I think, the greatest investment of all time forever, right? It, it, it's real estate. you know. So from an ideological standpoint, that, that's the best thing. You know, that's the first thing is that it allows somebody who is a doctor or you know has a has a job over here and has additional income. Um, mm -hmm. It allows you to make more of that income than you would to, than just by sticking in into the 
the stock market or putting it into Bitcoin. And not that there's anything wrong with some of that stuff, but um, that's speculative investment versus uh, tangible property that you can put your hands on. You could go to a turnkey property that you bought and you can touch it, you know, and you can watch it over the long term increase in value. But even better than that, you can start to pull money from that right now and get rent checks from that right now. So, so yeah. I think it's an amazing opportunity in any time, right? But right now, um, there are some great markets, uh, you know, many, many that you work in and have identified, I'm sure, as a, as a, you know, being in the turnkey world and building the fund like you have, um, there are great, great opportunities right now to get good returns beyond any other investment vehicle. And it allows you, like I said, to stay in your lane, you know, so it's always a good idea. Right now is a great time to do it. You know, there are people that are working all day long, 24 hours a day to acquire good properties, make, you know, put renters into them, create turnkey situations that you can then come and buy without having to do all that work, without having to be yeah. an expert and all of that. So I think that that's huge. You know, I, I think that's absolutely gigantic. And I'm a turnkey buyer today. You know, I mean, I used to be one that created all that stuff, but now I've got other businesses. And when I want to put money somewhere, I buy from my turnkey people and, and you and I are talking, I'll probably be buying turnkey properties, you know, through you and through, through mm -hmm. your organization, because um, just because I know that side of the business doesn't mean that I want to necessarily do it or that I'm set up to do it if I'm wanting right. to do these other things. Right. So just having the ability to come in and make my, have my money work for me is, is amazing. Right. Yeah. So I think it's an I think it's an amazing time to be buying right now. I think we're I think we're coming into a time where it might even start getting better because you know as you know we're in the middle of this whole COVID thing, right? Mm -hmm. The world is a little bit upside down. You've got uh, you know crazy uh, you know just tensions going on in the world. Even aside from COVID, you got a crazy political climate. We won't even get into all that mess. But people are upside yeah. down and people's heads are upside down right now, right? We are in a in a period of of chaos in the world right now, not just in America, worldwide. There's a lot of oh, chaos right. happening right now. And what I've seen and what I know, and what I also know even from times before that I was of age to understand this stuff is that chaos brings opportunity, right? Yes. When people are worried, when the nation's head is turned, there's something going on over here that's of value to people like you and I, Devin, who know where to look and know what, what opportunities to look for and know the right people to partner with. And that's what I look at when I look at turnkey property. I look at you know somebody I would buy turnkey property from. That's a partnership. I, I'm partnering with yeah. you to buy turnkey property, right? I've chosen good partners in my past and, and I'm, you know, and I'm going to work with you as a, as a turnkey provider so that, you know, that's a partnership to me, you know, and you bring value to me in terms of that partnership. So when chaos is, is the order of the day, when that's what's happening, there is always opportunity. Now, specifically what I think is going to happen, and this is just my idea, right? And, and no one has a crystal ball. Although I have, you know, I went through the foreclosure crisis uh, in 2008, 9, and 10. I saw how that happened. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody knew, right? But uh, we, we have hindsight. And we, can, we can make some and extrapolate uh, some actionable data out of what happened there out of, to what might happen, you know, over the next year or even two years here. So we've got school closures. You know, we've got, uh, you know, we've got um, people out of work. We've got businesses uh, small businesses shutting down at an alarming rate. You know, we've got the possibility for 
default on the residential side, on the commercial side, on the multifamily side. I mean, there's the possibility for some serious foreclosure action to start happening. But we've also got the government right now uh, with moratoriums, right? So they are artificially propping up uh, people that would normally be foreclosed on. They're holding those back, right? People, right. renters, tenants, who uh, tenants in some of our turnkey properties that would normally be evicted, we're not able to evict necessarily. They're not being evicted. They've got a moratorium on evictions. They've got a moratorium on foreclosures. So right now, the government is trying to kind of hold this back. They're trying to, you know, don't don't let all the foreclosures start yet, right? But that can't happen forever, right? The money runs out eventually. Uh, political climates change. Different candidates get in office. Things change there at some point. Uh, the levy breaks, right? right? Right now, there's a guy at the dam putting his finger every time a little leak goes in, and oh, oh, there's another leak. Right? Oh, <laughs> let me take out this piece of gum and stick it here. You know, like pretty soon, what happens? It all cracks and boom, the dam breaks, right? Yeah. So I think what we're going to see is little cracks starting to form like that. Um, the government will eventually not be able to sustain those moratoriums. That's not that's not meant to be a permanent solution, right? Those are just uh, those are just things that just hold things back. And I kind of liken it to, uh, you know, you've got a cut, you know, on your arm or something like that. And you're just kind of like uh, sticking something on it instead of a Band-Aid and instead of medicine so it'll heal. You're just sticking something on it right now. And it just kind of gets infected and gets worse and gets worse until finally you've got this terrible lesion on your arm. And you've got to go to the hospital now instead of what would have been a little Neosporin and a Band-Aid. That's kind of what the country's doing a little bit right now with these foreclosures. So... I think as a result of that, what we're going to see is in the first quarter, probably near the end of the first quarter of 2021, we're going to see the uh, the foreclosure moratorium stop, you know, and they're not going to be able to do that anymore. And so we'll start to see foreclosures starting. I think maybe after that, um, and it, again, it depends on who's in office, we might see the eviction moratorium stop shortly after that, right? And, uh, and then the kind of relief they can provide is all up in the air, but we're going to see those things happening. So I think the first wave of foreclosure filings will probably start sometime in the first half of 2021. That's just my guess right now. And it's nothing more than a guess, but it has to happen at some point. And I think uh, the foreclosures will probably start being filed before the evictions are filed. That's usually the way a lot of these things work, which means that some renters are going to be in there not paying rent while the owners are getting foreclosed on. And that's going to be a byproduct, right? So we're going to see a wave of, of, of filings that start happening in the beginning of next year, first half of next year. And then I think you're going to start to see those, you know, once you file for a foreclosure, it's six to eight months or even longer, depending yeah. on the climate, right? Before those actually end up coming to fruition, you know, and in some cases, um, you know, they let them extend and extend and extend, depending on what the banks do, depending on what the government does. So we could see a foreclosure that's filed in, you know, February or March of next year, not even come to fruition until maybe even a year later, in 2022. Yeah. You know, that's, that's totally possible. But I think we'll start to see the uh, the foreclosures actually happening towards the end of next year. So I've, I've pegged this time next year in 2021, you know, September, October, November around that time, you know, coming into the third or fourth quarter of next year as being the time where we're starting to get, see some real waves of foreclosures. 
Mm-hmm. Um, will there be some other, you know, uh, foreclosures happening before that? There will be. There's always going to be foreclosures happening, right? There always is. There always will be. But that's when we might see a concentration of them and the compounding effects of kids not being in school and parents home, you know, at work and companies shutting down as a result of efficiency uh, in their in their employees and in their workforce going down because they're home with their kids trying to learn on Zoom instead of being in the classroom and, you know, having teachers take care of them and instead of the parents, you know, and so I think a lot of that's going to compound and we're going to see this happen. So it's a good time to invest right now. I think it might even grow over the course of next year and even into 2022, we might start to see uh, some semblance of what we saw in 2008, 9, 10. I don't think it's going to be quite like that. And you and I were talking about this a little bit. I don't yeah. think it's going to be quite like that, right? I don't think it's going to be quite as uh, acute. Uh, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think the foreclosures are going to be based on a bu- widespread, uh, you know, 0% loans and a bunch of crazy right. stuff like that. Cause that's what happened before. And that was just, that was just stupid lending. You know, you can call it predatory lending. You can call it miscash. You can call it, you know, short-term thinking. It was, it was just dumb. It was it dumb, was right? Yeah, it yeah. was dumb. So I think that's what, um, in some way though, we're going to see that. Here's the difference though. It's not going to be caused by the subprime lending, right? Because there's a lot more, uh, there are a lot more safeguards and banks are, are wiser because these banks that got hurt, that was only 10 years ago or, or a little bit longer since yeah. they've been hurt. Those banks remember that. Bank of America remembers the files on their desks stacked up this high, right? Of, of, yes. of foreclosures. They understand that they've got more safeguards in place. So that's one thing is that, you know, you're not going to see the mass foreclosures due to that, right? And so the number, I think, of foreclosures won't be quite like that. But even if they're half of that or even a quarter of that, I mean, people forget how bad it was in 2008, 9, 10. I mean, everybody was losing their home. Everybody, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was crazy, especially where I lived in Tampa and like in Phoenix, Arizona and Nevada and like some of those really hard hit markets. It was like, you know, if you see two people walking down the street, one of them's in the middle of losing their home, you know, I mean, it was, yeah. it was acute, right? So, um, so that's one thing. I don't think we'll see the number, but the other main thing, and this is something I'm really keeping an eye on in 2008, when it happened, um, the, uh, no one saw it coming and right. suddenly, suddenly everything's worth 50% of what it was the day before. I know that's a little over exaggeration, but not much of an exaggeration. And, um, and people weren't ready, you know, there weren't international investors ready with millions of dollars, ready to jump into Florida real estate or ready to jump into Arizona real estate or Nevada real estate. Um, you did, they weren't ready for it. You know, they, they were watching it from afar. And then about two or three years later, they started jumping into it. Uh, hedge funds at the time in 2008, and people don't remember this, but in 2008, hedge funds did not see and prior to that, did not see single-family homes as an asset class, right? Hedge funds mm-hmm. might have bought, you know, large-scale apartment buildings, commercial strip centers. That was how hedge funds and big, giant equity funds were involved in real estate. Um, but they didn't see single-family homes as an asset class. It wasn't. It wasn't something they bought. They weren't into it, right? Which is crazy to think about that now because they're so involved in that stuff now. Yeah. But you know, so 2008, the crisis happened. From 2008 and Tampa till about 2010 or even 11, uh, small investors like me had our pick. We had our pick of everything that went out there, right? Yeah. So all the REOs, all the foreclosures, all the short sales. I mean, 
we were we were act, the active negotiator on like hundreds of short sales that didn't all come to fruition, but we actively had you know, mm-hmm. at any one time, if you looked at our books, we had a hundred short sales that we were negotiating wow. on. That's that we so were, much paper. <laughs> it's crazy, right? That we were the active. Yeah. Well, there were whole people that that were in businesses. You know, that, that their whole business was just on your behalf, negotiating and handling the paperwork with and the follow, short sale. Yeah, following up with short sales. Right? It was oh, yeah. the entire industry that sprung up because of that. So hedge funds weren't in until a few years later. So so investors like me. And a few others like me in, in those markets, um, we had our pick of the litter, right? We could choose and we could cherry pick every deal we wanted because we weren't competing against a billion dollar hedge fund like, you know, like Blackstone or, or BlackRock. Those are the two big ones. It's funny. They're both called Blackstone and BlackRock, almost the same kind of thing, right? But those were like two of the giant ones. And then a bunch of others you've never heard of. Um, today, uh, hedge funds like that and international investors are watching what's going on right now and they're seeing it and they've got millions in some cases billions of dollars that they are earmarking and holding back for what they feel is coming right gotcha. so what that means to me is the window of opportunity that the small what I what I consider myself I consider myself what we call a mom and pop investor that window of opportunity is going to be smaller than it was in 08 09 10 11 12 it's going to be a smaller window of opportunity now we still have an advantage because an investor like me, an investor like you, and and the funds you work with, and and the portfolio building you know company that you work with, you guys can move fast, and I can move fast on these kinds of things faster mm-hmm. than a giant billion dollar hedge fund can move. But totally. they're still going to move way faster than they moved back then because um, they've already identified this as an asset class. They're already predisposed to doing it. They've done it before. They've done it for years now. They're a decade or more into these exercises now. So they're waiting to scoop up whole neighborhoods. So what that says to me is um, when it when it does happen, it's going to be the time to acquire fast. It's going to be the time for turnkey operations like yours to scoop up properties fast so that you can make those palatable investments and then your buyers are going to get maybe better deals than ever, right? So if they are starting to buy from you now, uh, which is a great time, and they continue to buy from you throughout the year, when when the floodgates open, they're going to be the first in line with you to get this next wave of deals. And their next wave of purchases might even be better, right? Than the ones that they're buying now even. And so it's just going to continue to strengthen their position. So, uh, you know, the, the name of the game right now is, you know, educate yourself, go into properties now, identify what a good investment is so that when it gets even better and the opportunity grows even more, you're not learning how to do it then. You're not just right. contacting, you're not just contacting Devin and her team then. You're already in with her. You're already in line so that Devin can come to you and say, Hey, we got some great new opportunities. These are even better. Let's go, you know, and then, and then you're ready to roll. And then what's going to happen is eventually the, the hedge funds will come in. The other part of opportunity is that there are certain uh, price ranges that, that hedge funds won't be in. And I think now you told me when we were talking the other day, there's a certain sweet spot of price range for you, right? What was that? Yeah, we're like 90 to 130. Yeah. Is yep. is pretty much our range. Yeah. Oh, that's a great range. And that's, you know, that's the beginning range of what is uh what is financeable conventionally for um, you know, for homeowners, right? But the sweet right. spot probably for hedge funds and for these billion dollar funds, their sweet spot's probably gonna be somewhere around one fifty to two fifty, right? Because mm-hmm. th- those are the ones that are 
most easily conventionally financed because what these hedge funds do is they buy them up as quick as they can. They rent them out for five, seven, 10 years, whatever the time horizon is. That's what it was before, seven to 10 years, right? So they are selling the properties today that they bought in 2010, right? Gain that appreciation. So that's why they were able to pay 100% of appraisal value for them in 2010 because they knew they were holding them for 10 years and it didn't that's matter. Right. So they, they were they would take a loss on it for five, six years, even, um, you know, they wouldn't mind because they knew 10 years later they'd be fine. So what that says to me is you are right in the sweet spot. You know, the people that are working with you and buying from you right now in that 90 to 120 range like that is the sweet spot, because um, if you stay in that sweet spot or even. You know, if we see some some prices drop out a little bit and you even go down to like 75 or, you know, 80 up to 120, 130 or whatever, you're still probably operating just under that radar of the properties that these hedge funds will buy because they'll buy them at 150, 200, hold them for five years, seven years, 10 years, whatever the horizon is. Mm -hmm. And then they want to conventional, they want to sell those to owner occupants that will get conventional financing from chase or wachovia or bank of america or whatever it is at the time um and so that that will be their sweet spot so if you're operating below their sweet spot um you're in the perfect you're in the perfect place i think you're already in the perfect price range right yeah exactly <laughs> so 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 you're in a good spot and i think you just lean into that even more so you know this is not meant to be a commercial for for devin and for her team but if you guys are working with her you're working with somebody who is super sharp and and super smart about the the right niche to be in as far as price range, right? And so that is going to be uh, the perfect place to be. And those properties that you're buying now, when we're in that price range, those aren't the ones that drop off and lose 50% of their value in times like this. It's the right. ones that are in the 200, 250 range. Those are the ones yeah. that get chopped down by 25%, 30%, 40%. That's, those are the ones we see getting chopped down. 12 years ago, that, that was the range, 120, 150. Those are the ranges that, that got hurt, right? Today today, and going forward into next year, it's going to be those, you know, some of those 200K properties, that kind of thing. So you're in a sweet spot. You're in a sweet spot for today, Devin, and you're in a sweet spot, especially you know, going in you know, through 2021 and 2022. And uh, you know, we're, we can touch back and have another follow-up conversation yeah. at the time because mm. it's, going to be, it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be... It's going to be tough for some people, but for smart investors that uh, have good income, that have good solid jobs, that are in sustainable, uh, you know, uh, raising, you know, uh, capital raising environments, and those that have good businesses, they're going to have the ability to do even better uh, than they're doing today. And um, you know, I don't wish for hard times for people, but like I said, when chaos comes and when hard times do hit for a certain segment of the market, uh, windows open windows of opportunity open and it's up to entrepreneurs and good investors like us and like your crowd to take advantage of that. And I don't mean take advantage in a bad way. I mean, to seize the opportunity, right? Carpe yeah. diem, right? To seize okay. that opportunity because that's wealth building, that's legacy building. And just like we've always seen in this country and in, in the world at large, um, it's times like these and going into times like these, this is where the millionaires are created. This is where the wealth is created. So, um, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting, confusing, chaotic, and also simultaneously amazing time in, in business. It's going to be uh, it's going to be something to watch. And I'm glad uh, you and I are 
in touch. I'm yeah, going to be we're uh, gonna organizing watch it together. together. I yeah. know. I'm excited. Uh, yeah. Man, Matt, this has been awesome today. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us. And um, I'm excited for us to, you know, continue to get to know each other and work together. Um, Absolutely. Super fun. I love your energy. And next time I have you on, I want to hear all about the organizations that you've started um, and what Absolutely. that journey has been like building that while you've been, you know, uh, living the dream off of your, your passive portfolio. I For love the- it. I'm happy to come on anytime. Yeah, this has been fun. And, and uh, your, your, uh, your audience and your, your group, I love it. So I'm happy to, to jump on anytime and, uh, you know, hang with you guys and talk. So you just let me know. Shop, shop. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, for the folks who might want to reach out to you to get a little bit more information, what's the easiest way for people to find you? Yeah, um, there's a couple ways you can reach me. Um, you could uh, you can go to reicollective.com. That's that's one of our uh, real estate companies. We've got, we own quite a few companies, but that's one that you can kind of see uh, some of the things I'm focused on. But probably the easiest way is, you know, if, uh, if what we've talked about today is, uh, you know, resonating with you and you just kind of want to keep up with me and what's going on and, and real estate and, and life and, you know, my family and different things like that, just uh, find me on Facebook. Devin, Devin's connected to me. Yeah. Um, I'm here, you know, this, I know this, uh, this podcast and what we're recording today is in your, your Facebook group. So I'm there. You can always just hit me there and, and hit me with a friend request. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an open book and uh, I love making new smart friends that are investment minded and entrepreneurs. And so uh, just hit me on Facebook and uh, we can connect there. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Matt. And anybody that's listening, if you, uh, if you want to chat with me and get yourself on our wait list to pick up some of our deals, wealthcapholdings.com backslash. You should do that. Wait list. <laughs> you should do that. You should do that. <laughs> yeah. Jump on wealthcapholdings.com backslash wait list. That'll take you to my calendar and we can chat about how everything works. Thank you again so much, Matt. So much, Matt. I can't talk now. You just <laughs> blew my mind. So um, much. <laughs> it's been great chatting with you and you I can't too. wait to have you on again soon. And uh, everybody else out there, have a great rest of your day. See you later. Thanks for listening. Discover how you can start building wealth with real estate, even without experience in our free book, Why Real Estate and How to Get Started by visiting wealthcapholdings.com slash book. That's wealthcapholdings.com slash book.